0: We have had a week where to call the weather changeable is to put it mildly. You know, it seems to be glorious sunshine as I see outside there just now. But we've had thunderstorms, we've had hail, we've had rain, we've even had snow which led to Faith going out into the garden to dance in it. And uh, it it's just almost impossible to predict what's next. You know, you look out and you think, well, I'm going down the street. It'll be five minutes. I'll be fine. And then you're caught in an incredibly... Thick shower of rain. Fortunately, that's not actually happened to me, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened to some of you in the past few days. This week's passage starts with changeability. God providing a vision of a man calling the apostle to travel to Macedonia. It's not where he wanted to go. It wasn't where Paul had thought the next step was. He was going to head east. But instead, the travel plans are just thrown up in the air that's it. We're not heading east at all. We're going to Macedonia. The Lord has spoken through this vision and it's clear that a new season is beginning, a new part of Paul's journeys. It would seem... That they head straight off. Right? It's as if there is no gap between the vision and the journey. But notice that bit in verse 10 it says concluding that God had called us to preach. Concluding there has been a bit of discussion. They think on the vision and they discern by the Spirit whether it's right for them to go or not. It doesn't take them long. It's got the appearance that they just head off. But they think, what is God actually telling us to do? And then they do it. And they set off with gusto. They set off for the most important of the towns. Philippi. There's no hanging about. Having discerned the mission, that's where they go. uh, Croas, Samothrace, Neapolis. They pass through them all. But there's little time spent there in each town they come to, each village. They might spend the night, but then they move on. They have a purpose, and they are intent on doing that purpose, fulfilling God's call upon them. The vision pointed to Macedonia. They're heading for Philippi. So there's not any procrastination. No being sidetracked. They are focused. But what about us? Are we always focused on what it is that we're called to do? What we're intended to, what God has spoken to us about? Do we always do the right thing or do we sometimes get distracted. On the internet, there's what's known as clickbait a tantalizing headline or picture that's dangled there in front of you like a lure on the end of a fishing line. And it just attracts the eye and attracts the click of the mouse. But if you do that, it leads you off into a time-wasting endeavour. It shows you adverts you don't want. It gives you maybe one interesting line per page. It doesn't really take you to what you're supposed to be doing on the computer in the first place. You could spend Ages just following the story that it puts there, based on what you probably previously clicked. Headlines on newspapers can behave the same way. We get sucked in to that article. And then spun a story which may lead us to an understanding of how we should think and how we should feel. Or maybe it sows seeds of doubt. It might take us far from the gospel. Far from the call to love our neighbor as ourselves far from a sense of praising God and more to feeding our own desires, our own will, our own wants. But we must refocus on what the Lord has called us to do, to engage in his mission. And when we do that, When we do go God's way, it can seem to be a very fast journey. The men in our passage, Paul and Luke and their friends, traveled 150 miles by boat in a couple of days. Now that might not seem very far or fast to us in the 21st century. You know, How could they simply not just do that in an afternoon? A few hours will surely allow that. But we get the capabilities of our world today muddled with those of 2,000 years ago. Later, when they're traveling in the opposite direction, it takes five days. A more realistic time, perhaps. So on the outward leg it would suggest that the Lord has sped their crossing the wind has been in their sails as they follow God's direction God eases that direction for them he clears any obstruction that could cause harm yet we know that the sea here is dangerous This is the region of the Med where people still cross on small boats. And the sea journey is not dissimilar from the journey of the Syrian refugees arriving in Greece. We know that many do not make the shore, it is a hazardous place. But Paul seems here to move quickly. And safely over the sea and then on the land. On arrival, Paul takes in his setting. He becomes aware of his surroundings. He susses out how people live, what they do, where they worship. And it leads him on the Sabbath out of the city to discover a makeshift place of prayer that's up the side of the river, where there is a gathering that seems to be mainly women, if not all women. And this is striking for a number of reasons. Firstly, it must be a very small Jewish community. If there was even ten men within the town, they would have established a synagogue of some sort. So it's a small, intimate gathering. The location by a river gives water for the ceremonial cleansing, the rituals that would have been observed in worship. But the setting also at this distance, perhaps as much as a mile it is thought from the city gates means that there is an anonymity of being in that place. The people of Philippi in general would not see them there. And it gives them that privacy to conduct worship in a way that others won't see the rituals in religion. And into this setting, though, Paul has been led. Now, in his letters, how he speaks of women sometimes gets him a bad press he comes across occasionally as a bit of a misogynist. But he is an educated Jewish man who would not normally talk to women in public. But God has done something new, He has changed him, He's brought him alive opened his eyes, made him see things in a new way. And so he is happy to go to the edge of the river. He is happy to sit down and spend time with the women. He is happy to share the gospel with them. The Jewish... Society would have denounced women meeting, leading things. But Paul goes into the setting and he shares the message with them. There was even Jewish leaders of the time that said it was better to burn the scroll than to teach women. But Paul goes and shares with the women the good news that he has on his heart. He shares the gospel. Paul goes where they are comfortable and invests time in them. And the sharing of the good news has to be done in such a way, it has to be done where folk are willing and open to hear it. It has to be in places where they are comfortable even if we might not be. We in this place can gather here and hopefully you're reasonably comfortable. And we can gather here for praise and worship. We can encourage discipleship. We can host young people and old or should I say older there. Don't want to offend anybody. We might have folk at Boys Brigade and at Fellowship, at Lunch Club or Holiday Club, at Pulse or In Touch. But the initial invitation for somebody to come to such a thing where they can spend time and grow and hear something of faith has to be done outside of the door. The invitation to come in has to be given outside. Just as Paul went outside of the city, we have to go outside our doors and spread the hope that he held So Paul encouraged the women, he found, to follow Jesus. And Lydia realizes the truth of the story of the cross. Her heart has been softened in preparation for this. It's ready to receive that message. And so those of you that were doing Catching the Wave, you know, you had names that you were praying for. And that was that they might be ready to receive something. We need to be praying for our whole community. Perhaps as we approach village day, just beyond the end of the month, a few weeks away, we need to be praying for folk in this village to be ready to receive the message we have for them and the hope that we can tell them about, about Jesus our Lord. And she was ready. And she chooses to follow the Lord. And she seeks baptism for her whole household. Which might have included servants and slaves. Possibly family. We don't know how old Lydia was. Whether she was a widow. Whether she was young. But having had baptism. Baptism she's encouraged to not only invite Paul, but to open her house to be a place of meeting. In fact, she's quite insistent in the matter. She wants to extend hospitality. And it's assumed that the church now becomes established in her home. It no longer goes outside the city, those group of Jewish women. They become the church and they meet in a house. Now that is a brave and faithful decision for the women. We most often think of how she's able to host it because of our wealth, because of our job, because the purple cloth that she sells gets a good price. That she maybe buys it in from relatives from the town where she used to live, and how her customers are officials. And senior officers in the Roman army and perhaps retired Roman officers in the community. Her customers are the great and the good of Philippi. But what will they think of her now? Now that she has chosen to make her house a house of praise. What will they think of her now that she has revealed her faith? Now that she's become part of the church. And that she's welcoming the church to be in her home. She has the potential in doing this to lose her livelihood. To no longer be that wealthy woman has the potential to ruin all her custom. Because she is the one that worships. The one that the Romans nailed to the cross. But that's not of concern to her. Because she knows the Lord. She has hope. She knows God's love. And whatever happens in her life now. She knows there's nothing to worry about. Because this gospel has been shared with her. And she now wants to share it with others. She feels she must. But do we choose to share our faith? You know, religion is one of those things, along with politics and health and money, the etiquette tells us, oh, you don't talk about that. On the day before I left work to train for the ministry, when I was in my old job, one of my colleagues in the the building that I worked in, there were about a dozen folk, maybe, in the building that I worked in. One of them told me privately that he was an elder in the URC in another town about 20 miles away. I'd known him for two years and didn't even know he went to church. You know, we'd worked in that building for a couple of years and I hadn't discovered that about him. You know, the kingdom grows when we tell our story. When we share the joy that we have of God's love. As Paul did with Lydia and as Lydia chose to do with the people of Philippi. Opening her home as a place for believers to meet. She didn't become a missionary setting off to the ends of the earth. She became a missionary in her own community. She chose to walk alongside people, to sit down with them, to spend time with them. Just as Paul had done to her. You're called to be missionaries in this community. You're called to be in the whole earth, to go out. encourage people to become disciples and baptize them and getting them to live in the way that God commanded but you're called to be a missionary in this community where you live and it might cost you in what people think of you but it's what the Lord has called us to do and it's how the Lord has called us to live Think about where you may be walking. Think of who you may be sitting down with. And let them hear the story of the good news. Amen.